Okay, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. 1 Thessalonians 3, while you're turning there, I would like to make an announcement about some of the things that are on the back table here. So, what we would like to do is uh, we're calling this the harvest of blessing, okay? And the idea is you go back there and you grab a little bag. And uh, if you grab your own name, put it back, okay? You don't want to, this is not the, you know, pray for yourself and buy yourself a gift and send yourself on a trip around the world. That's not the idea. So if you draw your own name, put it back and grab another bag and there will be a name on it. You don't know who until you grab one. And then that individual, you are kind of responsible for them for the next month or so for praying for them. Uh, at least send them an encouraging card. We're, per, we're personally going to do probably some kind of a gift basket or something like that for the person that we draw. Maybe you're going to do the same. Maybe you want to send them on a trip around the world. Whatever you want to do, that's totally fine. Um, but the idea is to encourage each other, uh, especially through this Thanksgiving season, giving thanks to the Lord for that individual. And, uh, you know, gratitude can help us get to know people more. And it can certainly help us appreciate each other more. And uh, so that's the idea. And the idea is to have all of those gift bags taken. And so, you know, grab one today. And if you see another one next week and nobody's taken it, maybe you want to grab two. You can pray for more than one person, send more than one person an encouraging card. If you're not able to make it here and you're at home uh, and you would like to participate, let us know. And Sandra and I will be happy to drop a gift bag by. I'm going to go on a limb and say Pastor and Lisa would be willing to do the same thing since they live over here. And uh, we, one way or another, we will get you a gift bag so that you can participate in this if you would like to do that. So nobody left out. Okay, nobody left out. All right. Question? Yes, go ahead. Um, are, are, is this anonymous on the person who's doing the praying? Doesn't them? have to be. Doesn't have to be. Uh, I, I'm, pr- I'm pr- planning on letting whoever we, we get know that it's us. I like to know that people care and who cares, you know. And, and uh, so either way you want to do that. Totally up to you. No, it is family. Thanks for pointing that out. So like, you know, Austin and Lindsay, they're one bag, and the Young family, you know, they're one bag. If we broke up the Youngs, boy, that whole table would be full of... (laughs) No, it goes by by, uh, family. Thanks for pointing that out. Charlie, did you have a question? Okay. Okay. So if there's a question about it at somebody's address, get a hold of Brother Dennis or Sylvia. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thanks for bringing that up. Okay. Sounds good. You know what happens when you make a new directory, don't you? Every time somebody leaves. So just stand by. <laughs> Joins or leaves. That's true. Some sometimes they join. All right. <laughs> All right, so that all clear as mud then? All right, sounds good. We're working on for something for December, but it's still in the wings. Let's worry about this right now. All right, thank you for your participation in that. I look forward to that. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 3, we will be in verses 8 through 13. Finish this up today, Lord willing. Still considering the uh, challenge of overcoming opposition in ministry and how to do that. Let's read verses 8 through 13. Paul says, For now we live, if ye stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Night and day, praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith? Now God himself and our Father 
and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts, unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Let's open in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this challenge here, Lord, and how we can overcome opposition in ministry. Help us, we pray, Lord, to uh, take what this passage is saying and personally apply it, that we might be changed today and, and learn how to better face the problems and troubles that come our way as we try to serve you. We thank you for your spirit lives in, in each side of us, uh, inside of each one of us that are saved. We thank you for your mercy and kindness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so in your book we will be covering these two points, and uh, we'll finish up the second half of the first point there, and then we'll finish up the f uh, last point. And uh, as usual, we have our own main points from the text. The first challenge we see in the first half of these verses is in order to overcome ministry or opposition in ministry, consider what is at stake. Consider what is at stake as you and I face opposition in ministry and seek the Lord's help. Paul says, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord. Obviously, this is not the idea that they would physically die if somehow the Thessalonians fell away, but it's the idea, look, we, we were unaware for a time of how you were spiritually. And we were dead in a sense that we didn't know. And we were concerned. But now that we have learned that you are well and you are standing in the Lord, we are living again. We're, we're revived. We're joyful. There's a lot at stake uh, concerning whether or not you and I stand fast. Standing fast through opposition has a positive effect on people's lives. Uh, the antithesis to that, not standing fast, has a very negative effect on people's lives. Uh, Paul says here, for now we live if ye stand fast in the Lord, he says. And he expresses it almost, uh, it's emphatic, and it's as a wish or a desire. A literal wording would be, if you, you might stand fast in the Lord. And so he is begging them, so to speak. Look, you have stuck close to Christ. I need that. Please continue to do the same. There's a lot at stake concerning whether or not you and I stand fast in Christ. We have a positive or negative effect on other people. It's not just us. It's not just our future at stake. Uh, it's the future of other people. It can be very discouraging when people don't stand fast in Christ, when fellow Christians fall away. Uh, I went to Bible college with a number of folks, and there are a number of young men I went to school with who are now who have completely gone the opposite direction of the biblical principles they were being taught there at Ambassador Baptist College where I, where I graduated from. I can think of a, uh, of a young man who went off and started up here in Seattle, City Light Church. You've heard me mention it before. Um, bad music, watery, watered-down doctrine. They don't believe in the preservation of Scripture. They would say they believe in the preservation of the gospel but not in the preservation of Scripture. How you separate those two, I'm not quite sure. I know I know I have a true gospel if the Bible isn't preserved. And then another young man that I went to school with, um, he has recruited him now to start the same type of a church, if you want to call it that. I think we throw that term around way too loosely, but for the sake of argument, we'll throw it out there. Start the same kind of church in Asheville, North Carolina, where things are just watered down and it's that coffeehouse religion, you know, 
come in your skinny jeans as you are and leave as you came and just enjoy yourself. And uh, I think they're even going the way of Calvinistic doctrine. They use a lot of sovereign grace in their church, uh, in their church music, and sovereign grace is a Calvinistic-based hymn company and have sucked a lot of people in because they are sort of conservative, but they're getting worse and worse as time progresses. Anyway, that's discouraging to me. I went to, I went to school with this guy, went to school with his dad, and I'm sure it's a discouraging, discouraging thing to his father to see this. Uh, but Paul says, you've not done that. You stood fast in the Lord. Look at the joy and look at the value of that. He says in verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? Standing fast through opposition is a priceless thing. There's nothing like it. You can't put a price tag on staying close to Christ and not falling away and being an encouragement to other people. Now, any one of us in this room can fall away. Any one of us, right? That's a cheap thing. Any one of us are capable of that in our flesh. It doesn't take any special talent. It doesn't take anything, any sacrifice. All you have to do is just be what you are without Jesus. All I have to do is just be what I am outside of Christ and I will fall away. But standing fast in Christ is a priceless thing. You can't put a tag on that. Think of the encouragement that people like Daniel have brought to our lives and continue to bring to our lives to this very day. Where the angel told Daniel... Uh, when he says, you know, what, what's the timeline of all this? And he says, go your way, Daniel. Uh, you, you will stand in your lot at the end of the days. Go, in your, go your way. It's going to be well. You've stood fast. You'll stand fast in your lot. And I believe he's promising him a place there in the millennial kingdom is my interpretation of that. You're, you're going to stand in your lot in the end of the days. I think about Job. You know, how much encouragement. I know Job didn't say things. Uh, all, every, not everything he said about God was accurate and correct. And there does seem to be some bitterness there and some self-justification, but he didn't curse God and go serve Satan. No, he stood fast for what he knew. Uh, think about David. Six, seven, eight, nine, ten years running from Saul gave us some of the most encouraging scriptures in the, in the Bible, in the book of Psalms. Things like, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety, Psalm 4, 8. You know, just how much encouragement have we drawn down through the ages from people who have stood for the Lord? That's what you do for others. That's what I do for others when we stand fast in Christ. We encourage each other here. And outside of our little group here, we encourage other local churches, people we know. We encourage, sometimes you will even encourage a lost person because you're unwilling to compromise biblical principle or at least moral character. You know, Maybe they don't understand all of what that means, but sometimes you will encourage a moral lost person because you're unwilling to compromise what you know is right. And on the flip side of that, we discourage even lost people sometimes when we don't stand for the Lord and do right. So it's a priceless thing. Uh, there's a lot at stake. Your family is at stake. Your friends are at stake. Uh, coworkers are at stake. You can't save anybody, but I'll tell you what, you can sure discourage a whole lot of people from getting saved. And so can I. So it is a it is a priceless thing. It is also a great joy to others. Standing fast through opposition brings great joy to others. Paul says here, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. You couldn't put a price tag on the joy that Paul experienced. The idea here is when he says that we might see your face 
and might perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Uh, the idea is literally to mend the gaps of your faith. So um, if you look at Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, and some of the other Gospels, where it tells us that uh, Peter and his compadres were there mending their nets, that's exactly the same verb translated that perfect here in verse 10. So it's the idea of mending something, putting something together. And it wasn't that the Thessalonians didn't understand the gospel or it wasn't that they didn't understand anything about the Christian faith, but understand it, you know, they didn't have a copy of the scriptures like we do. They were excommunicated from any Jews among them that may have been there that were saved were excommunicated from the synagogue. So they didn't even have access to the Torah at that point, the first five books of the Bible, which is what they most likely had. Probably didn't have ready access to the gospel or the um, uh, the prophets or the Psalms or the Proverbs or anything else that may have been written at this time. You know, they had Paul's letter, but they didn't have access to a lot. So there was a lot of gaps, so to speak, in their faith. And Paul wanted to fill in those gaps and he desired to see them again. And when you and I stand fast in the Lord, we give people the joy of ministering to us, fellow Christians ministering to us. You know, we need each other to help mend the gaps in our faith. We need those Christians outside of this church to help do that for us. And we need to do that to other people. And when we stand fast in the Lord, we give each other the joy of being able to accomplish that in our group and with those outside of our group and other local churches. It's such an important thing. There's so much at stake. You know, in this self-centered society where it's all about me and what I need and what I want, and uh, it's easy to forget how many people we affect on a daily basis through our example, whether it be good or bad. And we need to keep that in mind. When we consider quitting or compromising or letting things slide just a little bit, remember, how much is at stake? Is it really worth it? Remember, Satan loves to get his foot. You know, oftentimes... Uh, <laughs> Oftentimes, a mature Christian is going to notice when there's a door of wickedness just flung wide open. You know, we're going to shy away from that. Satan likes to just kind of kick the door open a little bit through our music or through our dress or through our acceptance of a family member's sin or a friend's sin, whatever the case may be. Just kind of get that foot in the door a little bit. That's not that bad. And he'll just keep nudging that foot in that door until the little crack appears, and then he'll push it a little wider. As we get more comfortable with it being opened that wide, he'll open it a little wider. Pretty soon, the door's wide open. You know, how do you think uh, churches and Christians go astray oftentimes? It's a process. It takes time. It's a process of wrong thinking, a process of sacrificing biblical commands and principles. It's a process of allowing the world to enter just a little bit more on a daily basis through, our, through the eye gate and through the ear gate and allowing kids to engage in the world just a little bit more on a daily basis. It's a process. And so we have to be on our guard because there's a lot at stake here. So to overcome opposition... Consider what is at stake. Standing fast through opposition has a positive effect on people's lives. It is a priceless thing. It brings great joy to other people. Secondly, we'll spend a little bit more time on this one. Consider, or uh, to overcome opposition, consider who is your commander. Consider who's your commander. As you and I face the problems of, whether it be ministry or just problems of the flesh, daily temptations in our lives, consider who is the commander. And from that, draw strength. Look at verse 11. Paul says, now God himself and our Father. And he's not placing these two, uh, he's not presenting these two titles as two different people. 
the idea would be now God and our Father himself is the idea. Uh, inseparable in the grammar. And our Lord Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, direct our way unto you. Now Paul here isn't giving God a command. You don't give God commands. And what you're going to see in the New Testament is uh, you will often see verses like this phrased in what they call the optative mood. And it's the desi- it's the it's the least, one of the least likelies of all the moods, okay? The imperative probably being the most li- least likely because my will is involved. So it's the idea of I wish or I desire. He used the same mood when he said I, I would that uh, I myself were accursed uh, from Christ for my brethren. He knew it wasn't possible, but he wished it really probably wasn't going to happen, but he really wished it to be so in order to save his brethren. That's the same mood we see here. So it's a strong desire and a strong will. And it's not that it's completely impossible, but it, it does depend totally upon what God wants because it may not be God's will to physically allow Paul to see the Thessalonians at this point in time. But yet it's not a completely unfounded wish because eventually God will make a way for all saints to worship together and for all saints to worship at the feet of Jesus Christ and will someday put down all the opposition. This word direct is the idea of making something straight, making it plain. Uh, Remember back in chapter 2, Paul said, Wherefore I would have come unto you once and again, even I, Paul, but Satan hindered us. Satan literally broke up the road and set up obstacles, is the idea. Well, here, he's saying just the opposite of that. God, our Father, direct, take out all the obstacles, make the road straight again unto you. Uh, when the Hellenistic Jews of Alexandria translated the Septuagint, they would use this Greek word for the Hebrew word yeshar, which means straight, often translated equality in the Psalms, to make something equal, to make it straight, plain, clear of obstacles. Okay, Upright. That word is yeshar is often translated, something that is straight and perfect, without flaw. And so Paul says, our God make a straight, clear path to you. And whether he chooses to do it in this life or whether we just have to wait until he does it once and for all, one way or the other, it's going to happen. You see, God may choose not to clear out all the roadblocks when we would like, but he has promised that someday he will make crooked things straight and rough ways smooth. Does that sound familiar? Look at uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3 through 4. And I do understand that the verses we're going to look at uh, have, a, have a near fulfillment without doubt in the coming, first coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in the ministry of John the Baptist. But I do also believe that there is a far fulfillment and a complete fulfillment when Christ comes to establish his kingdom on the earth. But either way, look at uh, Isaiah chapter 40, verses 3 through 4. The voice of him that crieth in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted, and every mountain and hill shall be made low, and the crooked shall be made straight, and the rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Now God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you. And uh, maybe it's not going to be just now, but it is going to be uh, certain someday. 
Look at Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35. I love this passage. You know, Satan has set up roadblocks in this highway of life that we're currently walking down. And he likes to break up the road and put up hindrances. But someday there's coming a highway that he's not going to be allowed to touch. Uh, In the millennial kingdom, why is Satan not going to be allowed to touch the highway of God that we're about to read about? Somebody tell me. This is Sunday school. Uh, Let's be interactive. Where's Satan going to be in the millennial kingdom? He's going to be bound, right? Revelation chapter 20. But an angel came down from heaven having a great chain and a key to the bottomless pit. And he laid hold of the, the dragon that old serpent, I like that, which is, devil, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years and shut him up that he should not be loosed till the end of the thousand years was complete. Then he shall be loosed, what? For a little season where he goes out and he gathers even the rebels in the millennial kingdom. Isn't it amazing that you have a perfect environment, right? You have the absolute perfect theocracy that the world has always thirsted for. And even there, you're going to have a rebel. That's why it says in Revelation, but the wicked shall do wickedly. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He that is uh, ungodly, let him be ungodly still. He that is holy, let him be holy still. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. Some people just aren't going to change. Anyway, so he's going to be loose for a short time, gather together all the armies against Jerusalem, and all the saints have to go out there and do battle, right? Wrong. God brings down fire and brimstone and destroys every single one of them as they come against the holy city. And then the whole thing, gone. Heaven and earth pass away with a great noise and a fervent heat. And the eternal state comes in that we read about in Isaiah. You thought I was going to say Revelation. Did you know it's also mentioned in Isaiah chapter 65? God says, for I make all things new. I create new heavens and a new earth. I love how the Old Testament and New go together, right? Isn't that amazing? They're not, uh, they're not disconnected. Wow, what a shock. Anyway, so there's going to be a highway in the millennial kingdom. Look at this highway God talks about in Isaiah 35. This is not allegory. This is fact. The wilderness and the solitary place shall be glad for them. And the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. That word desert is the Aravah, the Aramaic word Aravah. And they call the area south of Jerusalem and Judah to this day the Arabah. Interesting, isn't it? It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given unto it. The excellency of Carmel and Sharon Places where cattle would feed in the days of Isaiah. Beautiful place. Uh, They shall see the glory of the Lord and the excellency of our God. Strengthen ye the weak hands and confirm the feeble knees. Hebrews 12.12 Say to them that are of a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. The eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as in heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out, and streams in the desert. And if you read Ezekiel, you'll find out that there's going to be a river coming out of the right side of the temple of God that goes down and gets deeper and deeper as it goes. Waters the Dead Sea, bringing it alive again, and producing in it all kinds of fish. And the parcel and the parched ground shall become a pool. And the thirsty land springs of water in the habitation of dragons. The idea is uh, lizards and uh, other reptiles. Where each lay shall be grass with reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there. Now God himself and our Father direct our way unto you. One way or the other it's coming. 
And it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. But it shall be for those, the wayfaring men, though fools, shall not err therein. You say, I just can't follow directions. I'm a dumb bunny. Well, guess what? Even you have hope on this highway. Praise God. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast shall go up thereon. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. And all nations are going to pour into Jerusalem, my friends, to worship Jesus Christ. And there's going to be a clear uh, roadblock free way to the Lord eventually, one way or the other. And whether God decides to remove the roadblocks according to our desire and our timeline, we don't, all, we don't know that. But we know that ultimately he has won the victory. We know that in order to overcome opposition, we have a commander who is able. God can make a straight path through Satan's roadblocks. But secondly, going back to Thessalonians, not only can God make a straight path through Satan's roadblocks, but he can enable you and me to do the impossible. Look at verse 12. Paul says, And the Lord make you to increase. Again, this is the idea of a wish. And it's the idea of a wish because it's not that God can't do it, but what else has to be true in order for verse 12 to be true. In order for the Lord to make me to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, even as Paul did toward others, what has to be true on my end? You have to be willing. And you know, and anytime you take man's will and you throw it in the mix, the possibility of that happening drops a notch, does it not? And so it isn't that God can't do it. So Paul expresses it as a wish, not because of God's power, but because of my stubborn human nature. This is totally possible. God can make me increase and abound in love. But guess what? I have to say no to this wretched old man every single day. Oh, wretched man that I am. Who shall save me from the body of this death? I thank God through our Lord Jesus Christ, right? So he expresses a wish that is totally possible. The Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another. Well, that's expected, isn't it? I mean, we're brethren in Christ. Even if we don't all get along great, I mean, at least we have the bond of Christ. And no matter what differences we may have, I can at least, and you can at least appreciate that reality about me. So I would expect that as Christians and fellow Christians, that we should be growing and increasing and even abounding in love one toward another. But wait a minute, Paul? You want me to love my persecutors? Well, that's what he says. And toward all men. Toward all. Even as we do toward you. So here they are in a situation far worse than anything that you and I have ever experienced. Here they are excommunicated from their families. Kicked out of the synagogue. Persecuted by the Gentiles. Because the Jews have convinced them that they're a cult. And they're doing the, the culture harm. And they should be exterminated. Uh, all these different roadblocks. You've got the... the uh, the emperors of the time insisting on, on emperor worship and you got the Christians refusing it they got all this garbage going on and Paul says I want you to increase and abound in love towards your persecutors is basically what he's saying now uh, here's a good application of that I'm not going to park your long but, and I'm not trying to be all political but I want you to understand that and I, I vote conservatively okay? but understand as you go around and you interact with you know, Trump supporters and you go to rallies and things like that, understand 
that you will not often most likely find the love of Christ there. Okay? You will find a lot of hatred. Will you find some morality? Oh yeah, you'll find more morality there than you will at the the Biden supporter campaign thing, whatever it is, rally. But you're not going to find really the love of Christ there. And if you're not careful, you see, that appeals to my flesh, right? The conservative, I want what I want, don't step on me, appeals to my flesh. It don't have to be a Christian for that to appeal to you. You just have to appreciate the, the, the benefits of freedom for that to appeal to you. So be very, very careful, if you would, because... That mindset of we're going to step on everybody no matter what it takes and we're going to get what we want and we're going to crush the opposition, uh, that will cloud your thinking concerning this commandment here where Paul has said, I want you to love everybody. It doesn't mean you have to hold hands with them, but it does mean you have to be concerned about their future. You know, Mr. Biden's going to hell if something doesn't change, right? And there are lots of people like that going to hell if something doesn't change. And God has said, I want you to increase and abound in love toward each other. And so take your stand, do what you do, what is right, right? And this isn't just in the world of politics, this is anywhere. Do what is right, but don't ever forget that at the end of the day, it isn't, doesn't, my rights and yours don't mean a thing in the eyes of God. Now we have been set free for a purpose, right? Amen. Only use not your liberty as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. I'm set free. But I'm only set free to serve. I'm not set free for any personal agenda at all. But that is, the, that is how the, the world, the conservative world would say, I'm set free for my own rights. And that's where we, that's where we should break off. Okay, so we just need to be very careful, especially during this season where tension is high and uh, people's tempers are, uh, are high on both sides. And there's a lot of uh, strife and debate. Be careful not to forget the importance of abounding and increasing in love toward all men, not just toward the brethren. And Paul says, he isn't asking them to do anything he hasn't already done. He said, even as we do toward you. Because that is exactly what Jesus did, right? Jesus, his loyalty was with the Father. And that's where my loyalty is. Uh, the kingdom of Christ is the only kingdom that has my full loyalty. And it should be the same with us all. Verse 13. God can enable us to love our enemies. Considering how God can enable us to do the impossible. He can enable us to love our enemies. Secondly, he can keep us blameless until he returns. This is the commander that we serve, folks. Verse 13. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God. Even our Father, at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. And this isn't talking about persevering to be saved. This is talking about a loss or a gain of rewards. And if I will submit to the spirit of Christ that lives inside of me every day, then Christ will, by his spirit, keep me blameless, serving him in holiness, helping me to honor him, helping me to do justice to that position of holiness that I already have in Christ that can't be taken away. That practical sanctification as I consider the ultimate fact that I am sanctified in Christ and there's no more work to be done. Now let's make that a reality in our lives. God said, if, and Paul says, if you will let God keep you, if you'll keep your eyes on Jesus, he will preserve you unblameable in holiness.
So as we face opposition and overcome opposition and think about overcoming opposition, remember, there's a lot at stake. And remember, we serve a commander who can do the impossible. He can take that, all those roadblocks Satan has put up and he can knock them all down and make a straight path. He can lock up Satan in the abyss and he can make a straight path to Zion, which he's going to do someday. And his timeline may not be mine, but his way is always perfect. My job is to submit to that. That's the hard part, isn't it? My job is to submit to that and trust him every single day. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you that we have the tools, so to speak, to overcome opposition in ministry. It isn't that you have ill-equipped us. It isn't that you haven't given us what we need, Lord. It's that my wicked uh, will, my human will, uh, wants to buck against that every single day. I may not like the things you bring into my life, Lord, and I want to be on the throne of my heart. But, uh, Lord, if we will step down from that throne and let Christ rule, then we can have victory uh, in overcoming opposition every single day in our lives. So we know this is true, Lord. We pray that you'd help us to submit to these realities. Help us to be faithful to you, faithful to each other. Help us, dear Lord, to honor you by serving one another and loving those uh, outside of, uh, of the church, those in the world. And uh, we thank you for your mercy and goodness and the fact that you enable us to do the impossible. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.